sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Fantasy football playoffs, of course, are here. Semifinals will start tonight for some of you. If you have Raiders and Chargers, that's the Thursday night football game that we have on tap. This is Hour 2 of Fantasy Sports Today here on Sports Grid. I'm Craig Mish, along with Joe Pizzapia. We got you here until 2 o'clock Eastern every single day, Monday through Friday, from noon to 2. You can catch all of our information over at sportsgrid.com. And Joe, I know Thursday night, always interesting matchups tonight. The Raiders are laying three points against the can- uh, the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. And there's no doubt in my mind tonight that if the Raiders win this one, they've got a real shot to make the playoffs. And if they lose, it looks like a must-win next week against the Miami Dolphins. Mm, there you go. There's another playoff game potentially. But a lot of people out for this game. Henry Ruggs is going to be out for this game. It's looking like Mike Williams is going to be out for this game. And Keenan Allen's questionable too. And Eckler's dealing with a quad issue. So there's a ton of injuries that could really impact this line potentially. So in the next segment, we'll kind of break all that down and could impact the player props too. Guys like Herbert in terms of passing yards. So there's a lot to unpack here and a lot of moving parts and we'll see. But it looks like at least trending, Mike Williams will not be in this game. So that's one wide receiver on both sides at least out one injured and a running back is a little lame right now and that's not good either because you know you just got Austin Eckler back and he's already dealing with more injuries and that's that's concerning from a a fantasy standpoint from a long-term investment standpoint on Eckler too because you know the thought process was he's a secondary back and then last year he looked like he could be more than that and now this year injuries all over the place trying to carry the number one workload and that you know starts to seep into people's consciousness but we'll see what happens game tonight and we'll see what happens with this value for 2021. Do you have any leagues you're still alive in? One. One. I have one more I'm still alive in. It's the one that I've got Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb together, which is uh, I was picking at the 12 spot. Had both of those guys. It's good. It's been good. I mean, I don't know how people let that happen. It was when Dalvin Cook was a holdout and Nick Chubb, people were not sold on because, well, you know, Kareem Hunt is there. And how good can Nick Chubb be if Kareem Hunt is there? The answer is very good. So there you go. All right, well, something to root for this week for you, for sure. Let's take a look at our headlines. The Raiders will take on the Chargers on Thursday night football. We'll break that all down for you coming up in our next segment. Uh, Also, the defense, four starters could be out tonight for the Raiders, and their defense has been pretty rough as it goes. So see what that means in terms of the Chargers, who played very conservative last time out. Herbert throwing like four-yard passes all game long. I don't know what that was about. Kansas takes on Texas Tech in college hoops tonight. Should be a really good game between two excellent teams in college basketball. We did have a baseball signing yesterday. Anthony DiSclefani signs a one-year deal with the San Francisco Giants, who kind of in that little bit of a rebuild mode, I would think. I'm not really sure what direction they're headed in, but I know building their farm system and draft picks is a big part of that. Mike Zanito returns to Tampa Bay on a one-year deal is, as Joe, we're kind of getting to the point of, of closeout time here for the hot stove. And then we really move into the point right after the new year, where I think a lot of the guys are going to get signed because the baseball season is going to be upon us. But Di Sclafani once upon a time was a pretty viable pitcher. I'm not really sure. Uh, I suppose this helps him a little bit going to San Francisco in terms of fantasy. I don't know that he provides a ton. I don't think he'll get drafted, honestly, in most leagues, to be honest with you. Uh, and then Zunino, look, anybody who signs with the Rays, you know one of two things is going to happen. Um, you actually know two things going to happen. Number one, the player is probably going to be good. But number two, you're not going to be able to use them in a fantasy league because they're not going to play enough. And I think that's probably where Zunino fits in. 
well, as a catcher, especially already, you're at a deficit because they don't play every day anyhow. So, yeah, the, that kind of kills his value. But Zanino's been a guy that can put up power numbers, but so much swing and miss. As we welcome in our radio audience here on Fantasy Sports Today, talking about some of these Major League Baseball signings. Zanino's one of those dudes that gives you a little bit of power in a two-catcher league. Maybe you could roster him. I hate two-catcher leagues, but that's a story for another segment. And Descalfani is an intriguing signing only to me because this is kind of what happened last year where they kind of threw some money at Kevin Gossman. They got a lot out of Gossman last year, more than I think anybody could have possibly anticipated. So in the leagues that I play in, I think Descalfani is going to be somebody that will be drafted because I don't think I play in a league that has less than 15 teams in it. So I think that's kind of how deep you have to go with starting pitching and just take some shots and take some flyers. So in terms of ballpark factor, it's certainly a positive for his value. There's no doubt about that. But uh, look, the Giants are a team that's just trying to find some values, trying to find some bodies as they continue to kind of turn over this roster. Now they have a lot of exciting young players. I know we talked yesterday that Buster Posey will be back after taking last season off. But, you know, they've got the Joey Barts of the world. There are some pieces there that they can start to get excited about. But I think in terms of starting pitching, they're still quite lacking in that organization. So we shall see if they can start to grow some of their own or start to have a couple guys pop. But that's been one of those organizations. I mean, you can go look back. I'm trying to think of the last pitcher they developed. Is it Matt Kane, Or am I really dating myself here? Because I can't think of another one besides Lincecum and Kane in the last 10 years. Yeah, not, not too many that I can think of either. So, yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, Bumgarner yeah, was terrific. We all know Madison Bumgarner is brilliant, but like, you know, just trying to think of, you know, homegrown talent and what they've had. And I'm now I'm trying to think about it. Was Bumgarner even theirs originally? Now I'm starting to rethink that. Was that one of those? So. Guys? He was originally. Okay. So, so there's a couple. Yeah. But in the last 10 years or so, it's been slim pickings for them. I mean, they really haven't been, you know, as prolific nearly as some other organizations, but you'd expect to at least be a couple guys that are decent you know, rotation mainstays at the very least, but that's kind of been difficult for them to to develop as well. And, and I guess I guess the same could be said for a lot of late legal organizations when you think of it. Yeah, I mean, they thought Tyler Beatty would be really good. I know that that was one name yeah. that of a player that really hasn't worked out the way that they thought for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, they, they really haven't developed anything, honestly, through their minor league system. It's just been a lot of hole patching with Bruce Bochy. And then finally, mm-hmm. last year, it was it was kind of time to take a deeper look at it. We'll see which way they head here in 2021. Okay, coming up next, it's time for our preview of Thursday night football. No college tonight, so all we got is the NFL. We're going to break it down next. We'll get into the total. We'll also get into some props. For those of you who are over on the FanDuel Sportsbook, make sure you jump on right now because you're going to get some really good odds on a couple of different lines. We'll tell you about them next right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Thursday night football is back. Of course, we also have a couple of Saturday games going on this week and then Sunday as well. So, Plenty of football as we get ready to close out the year. And then, believe it or not, bowl games begin on Monday, if I'm not, I'm not mistaken, of next week. Uh, but it is a very odd bowl season. For the first time I can ever remember, there are basically none of the bowls are set after next week. There's only a few games, and we're going to have to wait till Saturday to determine who's in the rest of them. Some teams have said they're not going to play in the bowl games. So we will get into them every day here when they are going on here on Sports Grid for sure. But the look ahead is the hardest part for sure. Good news, though, with the Thursday night game is the very least. It looks like 
haven't been any COVID issues um, outside well, of a few defensive players. So we're going to get played tonight. Looks like that way. Mm-hmm. Here is the line: Chargers, Raiders, Raiders minus three. This is like exactly where the line should be, honestly. Like the Raiders just have played awful. The Chargers are not good, but they're pretty good, relatively speaking, as an underdog in the NFL. And the total is 53. It opened at 54, went back to 52. I feel like the total is right, too. I'm not going to have anything at all on in this or involved in it tonight. I, I guess if I thought that the Chargers would go back to playing that the way that they were playing in the first 10 weeks, I would say that the over would look real good because the Raiders' defense is so bad. But I you know, because, because we had the Chargers in the Super Contest last week, I watched the game very closely against the Falcons, and it seemed as though... I had not seen the Chargers play like that all year. They basically refused to throw down the field. And I don't think it had anything to do with Mike Williams being out. They have other guys that can run. They just were doing dink and dunk constantly. And Herbert didn't look comfortable. He was getting rushed a lot. Uh, Eckler looked pretty good, but it was a lot of him dropping back and then just throwing the ball to him and hoping that the offensive line blocks so he could get eight yards. That was pretty much it. And as far as the Raiders go, I know that their offense is going to show up. I just don't know if their defense will. So, a, a little bit of a lean toward the Raiders, I guess, but not really strong because they've been so disappointing. And a little bit of a lean on the over, which is no fun because basically that's chalk, chalk, both on those. Yeah, well, look, sometimes it's chalk for a reason because it's right. There's good chalk and bad chalk. And the Raiders are starting to feel more and more like the good chalk coming into this game. I mean, if Keenan Allen's on 100% and plays and is limited, that's a big loss here for the Chargers and whatever they can do. And so maybe that was part of why you didn't see them pushing the ball downfield in that game last week. Uh, but on top of which, you know, Eckler's not 100% either. So you got a lot of injuries. You got a lot of ineptitude on the Chargers side. You got a team that's losing a lot of games that feels like they're kind of kind of try to check out here potentially. And, and I got to say, like, I understand that, you know, some self-respect. I understand it's in-division game. I get all that. But at this point in time, I mean, what the Raiders are able to do with Waller, with Aguilar, with Jacobs and Carr, I just think is going to be enough at the end of the day, regardless of how their defense plays. So I would lean towards the Raiders side of this game as well. Um, and I think probably be under at this point. It's just starting to feel like as that number goes up and up a little bit, maybe a little bit more of the under seems to be where this game is going to be. And, you know, the Chargers, unfortunately, had some good mojo and they were fun to watch early on when Herbert took over and it was a good storyline. But, you know, you see kind of week in, week out, them find new ways to lose games, whether they're being shut out by the Patriots or whether just kind of handing the ball back and forth and saying, no, no, we don't want to win. Atlanta, you go win. And Atlanta's like, no, 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 please. I insist. Again, it's like watching my mother and my grandmother fight over a check in a diner. Now, that's not what it was like watching that game last week. So it's just nobody wanted to win this game. I think the Raiders really know that they want to get in a position where they pick up a W, get some extra rest going into that big game against Miami next week. And I don't think that's lost on John Gruden. I know we talked about this earlier in the week with Benny Ricciardi, and I kind of see it the same way as Benny. And now with some of these injury issues, too, that are really kind of coming to fruition, it does feel like the Raiders game to really lose. So I am going to leave with the Raiders here and the under in this game. And and when when that battle goes for the check, who ends up winning that one? Grandma always win. Grandma always won back in the day because she was just tough. You know, she was one of those tough ladies, you know, you know, central Pennsylvania, just stubborn as hell. You know, she was tough, tough old Italian. And you're not going to be grandma for the check. It's just never going to happen. That's just, you know, old Italian ladies are tough. That's end of the story. If you don't know that by now, then you don't know much. Yeah, I mean, I listen, I, I, when the Sports Grid 60, that was going to be my whole topic. Old Italian ladies are tough. And I was going to do like a minute <laughs> on that. And you took it away from me. So that's it. Thanks. Yeah. 
Thank you. You're welcome. Something All new right. for you. Well, I'll come, I'll come up with something else. We no mice died in my house last night, so I'll have to figure out. Something. I was gonna say I was gonna. I, I hope there was no new rodents or no new things there. Uh, they're living no. moved into the Mish household. So no, you know that's that's the dynamic of this is that when you have a mouse in the house and you start doing the Google. It's like when you when you don't. Well, I mean, this is not the time really to joke about it. But when you don't feel well in general, if you Google, you you're gonna die pretty soon. Like that's the problem with Google on, on that that I found. You know, you have a cold. I don't know. It could be the end of your life. Um, and when you have a mouse in Google, you have millions of mice in the house, right? Like that's like pretty much what the, what it says. So when this mouse was running around in the house. Uh, I, I, we, 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 I mean, look, joke, it could have been a lot. I didn't know at the time, but mm-hmm. it was pretty obvious when we were chasing it, that it ran into a place that it had never been because the first time around. And it, so it just like jumped into a little like spot that we couldn't get the mouse. So after a day of nothing, we're like, oh, it just must be one. And it really was, but how this mouse ended up living for weeks with nothing, I just have no idea. And I'm Two still words, sad snap about trap. it. Snap traps. That's that's what works. You know, I, I you know, we I live of in Jersey. We had a big yard. Try not to well, you know, but some people do these other things where they have this and that, and you got those bait stations outside your house. They work too. But two years in a row, I've had mice crawl in and make a home in my air conditioning unit. And two years in a row, wow. in the spring, I go turn on the AC and it doesn't work because they chew through wires. So this year we wrapped it in like this copper stuff and all these things that we did to keep the mice out. And I know this is thrilling television for everybody out there watching, but maybe you'll pick something up. Maybe we're dropping some new knowledge on people. But look, old school, 100-year-old snap traps still do the best job, apparently, according to my guy. And of course, I'm Italian, so I got a guy for everything. Grandma was really good at that, too, from what I heard. Grandma would just grab them in her hand because she had strong hands from rolling out pasta dough all the time. Hands like this. Squeeze them. Like Muhammad Ali, she had hands. Yeah, break you, break your neck. Good in a second. So that's our exterminator segment for the day. Let's take a look at the FanDuel props on the quarterbacks tonight. Far more compelling, probably less compelling, honestly. Uh, Justin Herbert's passing yards and Derek Carr's passing yards. Herbert's passing yards on FanDuel is consistently going down the last few weeks. It's it's now under way under three hundred. Is at two seventy six and a half. Derek Carr's is at two sixty four. Well. I watched Herbert play last week. If it's anything like last week, it's an under. And Carr, my confidence is waning a little bit on him as well. But we've been doing this long enough to know that there's one of these guys is going over and one's going under. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just definitely going to happen. Yeah. So I'll you take flip the coin. The I'll flip the coin. I'll take, I'll take Carr for the over between these two. And it's because of the healthier complement of weapons. It's just clearly that. And the Chargers defense has proven that they have got some good names, but, you know, they have not, you know, lit the world on fire. Let's be honest. And I know that Justin Herbert's also staring at a record, too. He can go and tie or pass, I should say, Baker Mayfield's rookie touchdown record that just set a couple years ago. So, look, he statistically, you're going to look back at this Herbert season. It's going to be great. But I think there's going to be some question marks when you try to evaluate him going into next year and figuring out what he's going to be in 2021 because, you know, he's got some big totals there, the 300-yard games, but with Eckler's return, those have kind of, as you said, dialed back a little bit. They haven't been quite as prolific offensively. So if I'm going to pick here, I'm definitely picking the car side. How about you? Probably, but I don't have a strong opinion on it. I will tell you this, with Keenan Allen last week, I, I didn't know that he was hurt, but something was definitely up because mm-hmm. on Herbert's play – that he threw the interception to Atlanta to give them the ball back before Atlanta gave it back to the Chargers like a minute later. 
Keenan Allen did not even go for the ball. Like he he threw the ball right to Keenan Allen. The guy stepped right in front of him and just grabbed it. And Keenan Allen was like in shock. It was very bizarre because he's always a guy that fights for the ball. But it just it it looked something was wrong with him at that time. And that's why I'm not surprised to hear that he's hurt a little bit because it was very odd to to just watch a scene where a receiver essentially just kind of putting their hands out and the guy just comes in front, takes it, and then the guy does nothing about it. So. I think that's yeah, kind of. I, I, I guess I've kind of leaned the same way, but I don't. I don't feel super strong about game, it. I, I do like the Raiders a little bit in general. Yeah. No, but you know, this is actually. I, I I watched. I like watching Gruden. I like watching the Raiders. So I'll, I'll probably be engaged on it. All right, a little baseball discussion from a fantasy perspective is coming up next. Stay tuned. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. A couple of months away from Major League Baseball spring training this week, all of the managers in Major League Baseball are meeting with the local and national media to talk about the team's offseason, what the season could look like in 2021. Still a lot of questions out there for sure, and that also includes free agents, where a lot of the top names are still out there on the free agent market. That would, of course, include George Springer, JT Realmuto, Trevor Bauer, and the player who we're about to talk about here from the New York Yankees, DJ LeMahieu, who uh, honestly is one of the bigger names in free agency that doesn't get talked about quite as much because the assumption, the assumption just is that the Yankees are just going to just hand him a check and LeMahieu's going to end up back with the Yankees. His skipper, Aaron Boone, talked about just how valuable he's been to their squad the last two years. There's not much more to say about DJ other than, you know, I think if we look over 2019 through 2020 and did a two-year MVP in the American League, it's probably him. So his play, you know, completely speaks for itself. You know, and then you couple the fact that, you know, he's he's this really great teammate that's been, you know, despite his quiet reputation, um, a tremendous leader for us and and an influential just person by the way he goes about things. So, you know, I, I think it's no secret that he is, um, you know, probably our number one priority um, to bring back this winter. And I, I know Cash is uh you know working on that and and hopefully at the end of all this uh dj's a yankee for a long time well joe if if that was the case it would be just as easy as signing him but we know that the winner has some uncertainty so the yankees are a little bit uncertain brian cashman did follow up on aaron boone's talk and said basically that the yankees winner essentially doesn't start until they get clarity on dj lemayhu and there's no question that with the injuries that the Yankees have suffered to everyone else on that field, that it would be in their best interest to throw DJ, I don't know, three years and and get this guy signed so they can move on. I got to tell you, Craig, I think it's going to take a fourth to get it done. I really do. Um, and and I think he still might be worth it. I understand a couple of years ago they took a gamble on Stanton, and you can certainly make the argument that hasn't paid out, and they've got a lot of money invested there. But DJ LeMayhew has been this guy that's been this rock for them. And I certainly didn't see it coming because when you look at DJ's stats in Colorado, those splits were clear 
He was not a good hitter on the road. Now, I think he is a good fit in Yankee Stadium. Those numbers bear that out, too, and that has certainly helped. But he has changed that. He has hit on the road. He has been that guy, that rock for this team when they've missed guys like Judge, guys like Stanton. And then this year, Gleyber Torres, who in 2019 had basically picked up this lineup and carried it along with LeMahieu. Well, guess what? Torres was out and missed time this year. And what happened? DJ LeMayu was that guy. He's been a guy you could hit at the top of the order. You could move him around the order. You could move him around the field. I mean, he is so valuable, I think, to this Yankee team, and he has been the kickstarter of this offense. So I would honestly be shocked. I mean, if you gave me Yankees versus the field, I would take the Yankees to sign DJ LeMayu because I think they recognize how important he has been to their relevance and to this offense that has missed some huge pieces. And it's great to have these home run hitters, too. And, and DJ's hit this fair amount of home runs, too, but – it's the average, is the on-base, it's all the intangibles that DJ brings, and I think it would be crazy for the Yankees to not overpay for LeMahieu because he very well might be worth more to them at that premium than even to other teams. So to me, even if it has to go to that fourth year, I think you do it, you bring DJ back into the fold. There just aren't a lot of options if the Yankees chose to go another yeah. direction. If somebody swept in and grabbed them, they really won't have a replacement there. The names are not that pretty. And as deep as you would think second base is, it's really not. There's a handful of guys that are are really good, and then you're taking well, chances. Well, you move Torres on, back, right? Wouldn't that be what you do, Craig? You move Torres back to second base oh, and try so, to go after a shortstop. That's what I would do. And so I don't know. Maybe they, they signed Didi again. Can you go trade? Make a trade for Lindor? Do you want to? Do you want to do that? I don't know. I mean, they yeah, have the goods. I, I, they I have the system to do something like that. But, I mean, that that's to me the, – the pivot is not another second baseman. To me, the pivot is Torres to second, figure out the shortstop position. And I think that would be what the Yankees would do. Well, we'll see. It, it may not come to that, but we'll find out hopefully over the next month yeah. or so. Let's move on to the Texas Rangers, who, again, tried to open up a brand-new ballpark last year. Unfortunately, due to COVID, they did with no fans. And a little bit of a fascinating team because they've kind of been down now for a couple of years and wondering which direction they're going to go. The manager of the club is Chris Woodward, and he's ready to make some changes in 2020 and has already informed his shortstop in Elvis Andrews and his second baseman in Rugnit Odor that there is a chance that neither of them get the playing opportunity that they had last year. Um, Elvis, you know, I've, I've obviously you know, informed him that, that Kiner Falefa will be our starting shortstop to start the season next year. Um, Elvis is going to have to come in. Um, from everything that I've talked to him about, he's in, he, he's getting himself in great shape. He's in a good head space. Um, he's just going to have to move around the infield, you know, potentially play third base. Um, obviously shortstop with Kiner if he ever needs a day off or, or has to miss time. Um, but I think right now it's, it's, it's up to Elvis. I think, you know, if he, if he gets himself in really good shape and, you know, he still believes he's an everyday player, that's going to be really good in this league. So, um, I, I kind of like Elvis Andrews with a little chip on his shoulder. Um, he's got, he's got a lot of hunger to, to kind of prove people wrong. And, you know, I think, it, like I said, it's up to him. And the same kind of goes with Ruggie. I think Ruggie's in a little bit more of a, of a competition with Nick Solak, you know, I've informed Nick, I wanted him to kind of solely focus on some second base. I want to see what he can do. I want to see how it looks. Um, last year, we last two years, we've asked Nick Solak to kind of move around and play center field, play third base, play second base. I think his best position is second base. So I think we got a pretty healthy competition with, you know, obviously Ruggie's got to earn his playing time. I think, you know, he hasn't been as consistent the last couple of years. Um, that's one thing I've stressed to him. I, I want him consistent on both sides of the ball, obviously offensively. 
Um, he's got a lot of power. He, he gets a lot of big hits for us at times, but the consistency just isn't, hasn't been there. So, you know, he needs to be more consistent on the defensive side as well. Um, but he's also going to have to move around a little bit, um, not just only play second base, you know, maybe third base, maybe even a little bit of outfield for Rugi, whatever he's uh, open to. So at this point of the day and the offseason, if it yeah, and, and Joe, it's really interesting if you go back three years ago, and I would tell you Elvis Andrews, Rugnado Odor, mm -hmm. and let's even throw no more Mazzara in that conversation, right? Mm -hmm. The future of the Rangers, essentially, none of them guaranteed any playing time in 2020, and for mm -hmm. good reason. They've flipped. Yeah. Yeah, Mazzara's not even there anymore, <laughs> you know? Uh, so they moved on from there, and maybe they've stayed at the dance with Rugnado Odor too long. And I think that's fair. You know, Odor is the one of the streakiest players in Major League Baseball. And I know people say, well, batting average isn't the most important thing. But when you hit 200 every year, I'm sorry. It's very hard to be a productive Major League player. You have to get on base. You have to make more contact. He's been a big swing and miss guy for a long time. And Andrews is getting older. And sometimes the guys with the profile of an Elvis Andrews in terms of what they bring – you know, when the speed starts to decline, they start to decline. And we've seen that happen in the past. Now, I don't think Andrews is done. I think this is a bad year. You chalk it up. I think he will bounce back to a certain extent because, look, they've got some some years and some money left on that deal. But to me, you know, what the Texas Rangers should do is definitely go after Nolan Arenado. We all know he's still available. Arenado would be such a fantastic fit. You really turn this organization over. You bring in Arenado. There's a buzz. You know, if you can get Joey Gallo right, Calhoun right, all of a sudden, you know, maybe you get a bounce back from Andrews. You can do something here. Now the pitching's still way off, but I mean, they've got money theoretically. This Texas team, it's just time to maybe move on from guys like Rugnan Odor. And 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 look, Solak is a player I know defensively has some some issues, and I think that's always their big concern. Is you know, Solak's not the greatest glove in the world, but in terms of offense, the guy's been the same guy he was when he was in the minor leagues. The guy hits for a pretty high average. Guy who makes good contact, consistent contact, puts the ball in play, has a little bit of pop. And I think that's a good player. And Falefa is a, is a player that plays good defense and will hit a little bit as well. Um, but I don't know. For me, Craig, I think that there's just so many deficits here with the Rangers. And then when you move on from Lance Lynn, it's just hard to see what the plan is. And I guess the plan right now is just to continue to push some of the other players that didn't work out or have kind of outstayed their welcome out. Let the young kids play a little bit and see where it goes from there. I think that the Rangers are one of those teams that if we had clarity on on the season, when it would start, how many games, everything is fine. I think you'd see that team go out and do a little bit more. But it feels like baseball, some of these teams are a little bit paralyzed with not knowing that situation, whether they're fans or not. It really hasn't affected the NBA. I mean, Giannis just got $50 million. They're not going to be a fan going to Milwaukee for months. But uh, that's kind of the way the Rangers stand. And I think that from a fantasy perspective, those two names that we showed you there with Solak and Kiner Falefa, I, I think both will be relevant this year. My guess is it's a little bit of a coin flip, but if you told me that one or the two of them became viable, I would say yes. I think there's a chance of that. Falefa does steal bases. He could steal 15, 20 bases this year. Solak's got a good bat. You mentioned the glove. Who knows where that could be, but you put a guy at second base and say figure it out. I've seen that work before. So yeah. um interested to see the way these two young guys go, but the Rangers track record certainly at second base in, in Odor did not work out. I mentioned Mazzara, of course, who's now moved on, I think, to two different teams. That was another player that they thought very highly of, came up, hit a 600-foot home run, I think, in his first game, something like that. But that's part of baseball, just kind of figuring out who 
is going to make it, who won't. And that's what we try to do for you guys here on Fantasy Sports to do uh, Fantasy Sports today for sure. All right. So on tomorrow's show, we'll talk a little Seattle Mariners baseball. They have some new pieces in place for sure. No doubt about that. A couple of young guys and also the Mariners announced yesterday a six man rotation. So we'll talk about what that could potentially look like in 2021 just a reminder for those of you who watch us every single day noon to two eastern you can also catch our shows on demand over on youtube you want more information where we are streaming all the shows that you can watch live our website is sportsgrid.com just go over there and and also for those of you who watch the tv side of this i don't know if you know but we also have a full radio side as well over at Sports Grid Radio on Twitter, and also as a reminder for those of you who have satellite radio, whether you listen on the app or you listen in your car to Sirius XM, right here, Sports Grid will be live starting January the 7th, our show and all of the other shows here on Sports Grid broadcasting for you guys when you make your commute. We'll be right back on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You can join us on our edition of Fantasy Sports Today on Friday as Howard Bender will be with us. We'll go through our super contest picks in the Westgate, our early leans on the contest. As well as Jim Sanis from uh, DFS. We're going to talk a little DFS action with him. So make sure that you stay tuned for tomorrow's show as well. And Joe, I know Sunday morning, the big show coming up, getting people ready for the semifinals in fantasy football. Everyone's excited for it. I think Sunday morning, everyone will be up at 6 a.m. instead of 8 a.m. to watch your show. So maybe we should play it twice. Maybe we should play it at 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. Well, look, as long as I keep getting all of the residuals from the second replay, then yes, of course, absolutely 100% will watch it twice. But for everybody, you can get up at 6 if you want, have your breakfast, whatever you want to do, or just have your breakfast with us, 8 a.m. here on Sports Grid, Fantasy uh, Game Day, myself, Eric Young, Matt Stryker, taking you through. So me and the wrestlers, we're going to wrestle with Week 15. We're going to bring it down to the mat, and we're going to make it ours. We're going to own it. That's what we do. And we've been at a, a really good run the last few weeks, though. In all seriousness, on FanDuel, so hopefully you've been watching. We've hit that Tyreek Hill game a couple weeks ago. We've been hitting on the Derrick Henry season stuff. We've been making some really good lineups and, and working through some things here and stacks and stuff like that and some really good trends and some great opportunities this week, too. Some great value on FanDuel. So hang out with us. We'll get you your lineups. We'll get you your values. We'll help you with season long as well as you continue to chase that elusive fantasy championship. So uh, 8 a.m. Eastern. On the grid, that's where you belong. Hang out with us, and we'll get you set up for the rest of the week. All right. Check it out Sunday. Go to sportsgrid.com for more information on all of our shows here on our network. Okay, let's start off with a little fantasy reality as we end on this Thursday. Start off with the Chicago Cubs. Chris Bryant, of course, in his final season with the Cubs until he hits free agency. Nationals general manager Mike Rizzo dismissed the idea of making a trade with the Cubs for Chris Bryant. He had a conference call on Tuesday. It's his walk year, Joe. I feel like Chris has been more popular for his contract than he has as a player. That is just weird because mm -hmm. it feels like we've been waiting and waiting and just waiting for this guy to become a free agent and sign someone else. But meanwhile, in the last two years, I mean, what I don't know. He really hasn't been as good as I think that most people thought he would be. He went from being this like superstar kid 
with the mm-hmm. World Series team to now kind of wondering where he's going to end up. And so right now, let's let's talk about just opening day here, three months away. Fantasy or reality, Chris Bryant will be a Cub on opening day. Well, look, a couple years ago, he had that shoulder issue, and I think that really, you know, hurt him that season. And then in 2019, he did bounce back, statistically at least. And what's hurt Chris Bryant from a stat standpoint in terms of fantasy is two things. Number one, you've had him lose stolen bases over the years, which is something you see a lot of players do. You know, the the players that will throw you 15 stolen bases early in their career, by the time they hit their 30s, you're lucky if you get five. You know, same thing with Paul Goldschmidt. Now, you could trace a lot of players to that sort of thing. Uh, And the other thing that's hurt him is the fact that he hits leadoff. Now, that's helped his run total, but it's really crushed his RBI total over the years. So when you hit him higher in the order, this is what's going to happen. So a lot of with Chris Bryant's value is going to be tied into where he hits in the order for the Cubs or for some other team. Now, I think... Uh, Chris Bryant, in terms of being a Cub opening day, I think that's going to be a fantasy. I think they wanted to move him last year, but because of that injury, they really weren't able to do it. He proved he was pretty good. Then heading into 2020, everything just got insane. It's why you didn't see Arenado move. It's why you didn't see Chris Bryant move. But I think this offseason, you will see blockbuster trades from the Cubs because it feels like the Cubs are in rebuild here. You know, Now that they've had some changes at the top here, it just makes sense. When you look at this roster and the age of this roster and and where they're going to have to turn things over, they kind of need to replenish. So what was once the the crown jewel of all uh, minor league organizations, it's been some hits and misses here. Almora wasn't quite the player they hoped. Ian Happ took a little longer. It looks like he might be that kind of guy here. Bias has had some good years, but last year, clearly not one of them. So the Cubs are in a weird transition. I think it's time for the Cubs to say, let's scrap it. Let's retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of that starts with Chris Bryant. You have to make that move now because I don't think you can get Chris Bryant another year in there or wait till the trade deadline and make a move. I think you get the most for him right now at the beginning of the season. So I think it's going to be a fantasy that he's a Cub opening day. Craig, what do you think about Chris Bryant? Yeah, I I, I think he's he's kind of a hard player to move because there's value there, but teams aren't going to really recognize that because he's on the last year of his deal. So, look, we, we've seen this happen before. Marcelo Zuna last year did a one-year deal. Uh, it, was a, it was a free agent. But, you know, players just don't have the same value when you know that they can walk after a year. And uh, I will say fantasy also, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them move him in season two if they can't find what they want for him. So uh, I'll, say, I'll say fantasy, and, and yeah, I, I, I share a lot of the same sentiments for good reason on the Cubs. Okay, let's go to our second fantasy or reality. Let's go to the New York Giants this weekend. Looks like no Daniel Jones at quarterback, and Colt McCoy will get another start. And the Browns certainly have looked the part of a playoff team, but the Giants have been covering a lot. Fantasy reality, the Giants have a shot to beat the Browns with Colt McCoy on Sunday. Well, look, the reason you can ask this question is because a couple weeks ago, he went on the road and beat Seattle. Now, a lot of it was more of the Giants defense, and and maybe Seattle wasn't quite prepared for the Giants team that came in and played them so competitively. But I think that secret's out. I think the Browns recognize this, and it just happened to the Seattle Seahawks. So I don't think the Browns in any way, shape, or form are going to overlook the Giants. They know how important this game is here. 
And uh, I think Daniel Jones might have done his team a disservice last week by playing when he was not healthy. And this new injuries that he's dealing with right now, I think, is one of those things that I'm sure Dr. Chow has said a million times, which is when a player is hurt in one spot in the leg, they tend to favor or make some moves they're not used to, and then they are injuring something else. And I think that's exactly where Daniel Jones is right now. So for me, I think this is fantasy. I don't think Colt McCoy could beat the Browns. I think the Browns realize they are up there with the very best in the AFC. They took it to the Ravens, and they fell just a hair short. But no, I don't think they can beat them. Can the Giants cover with Colt McCoy? That's another question. That I think is possible. But win the game against the Browns? No, I don't. I don't think they have an answer for Chubb and Hunt. I don't know if anybody really does. I think the Ravens got lucky there that they had the last possession in that game because that was kind of feeling like whoever touched the ball last was going to win. And turns out that was the Baltimore Ravens in that one. So for me, I'm going to go with a a big fat no on this one. I, I don't think... Uh, they can get there. So Giants have played tough all year, but maybe just kind of falling apart at the end, just maybe not enough gas in the tank and fall just a hair short of that division. What do you think, Craig? Definitely have a shot this week to beat the Browns, no doubt. The Giants have been underdogs in a lot of games this year. They have showed up in almost all of them and have played very well. Uh, Just because we started to feel a little bit too good about them doesn't mean that they're a Super Bowl team. They're an average team. But the Browns are not a Super Bowl team either, I don't think. They're above average for sure and better than the Giants. But four and a half points better? I don't know. I I see the Giants as the best team in the NFL at covering the spread. I don't see any reason why that can't happen again this week. And, and And I think that McCoy actually plays into a cover maybe even more than Daniel Jones does. Just plays that super conservative style, keep running the ball with Gallman. Uh, look, I've seen the Browns now play two different times a season of giving up 45 points in a game, once to Dallas and once to Baltimore. So, I, I mean, while the Browns' defense may be very good and they certainly can run the ball out at the end of a game, that they can do too. I, I see the Giants as playing close. They've they've almost played close in every game they've played this season, so why not one more? Mm-hmm. So I do. I think they can, they can keep That's it fair. close, but we'll see. Okay, the uh, Revenge of the Nerds is coming back. One movie that I did not think needed to come back. They're doing a reboot of this thing, Joe. And and look, I, I think that this goes back probably before a lot of people uh, remember. But certainly those <laughs> movies were uh, iconic in their own way. I don't want to ruin the answer here on fantasy reality. So I guess I'll start with you. You've seen over under one and a half Revenge of the Nerds movies before this reboot starts. Well, first of all, the reboot is with Seth MacFarlane at the helm of it. And Seth MacFarlane's done some really good work, you know, besides Family Guy. I I really thought Once Upon a Time in the West was hilarious, by the way. I just want, if if it's going to be anything like that and have that kind of a sharp wit to it, then I'm in. I think that was one of the, you know, better, perhaps underrated and underappreciated comedies the last 10 years. I would definitely put that up there. It was a very funny movie, a lot of wrong in that movie, which I like. I like things that aren't very PC and that, you know, make you laugh and are inappropriate. That's good. I mean, heck, I make people laugh and I'm inappropriate most of the time on this network. Uh, I would say uh, this is a definitive uh, reality. I have seen over uh, one and a half. I've seen two. I've seen the original and the second. I did not realize there were four of these movies. So I can't speak to that. I didn't know that either. No, but there was, uh, and I think there was more of the, you know, the new class kind of stuff, you know, when they start to take the concept and use different people kind of things. But I have definitely seen the original and I have seen the second one too, which is when they have that, that big convention there where they have to attend. I remember this. And then at the very end, in of course, uh, Fort Lauderdale or Miami, one of those two, I think it's definitely definitely Florida. I mean, we know that because eventually everything ends up in Florida and, uh, ogre. 
you know, becomes uh, one of the Lambdas, I think, at the end of that movie, if memory serves. So, so yes, these are um, not my favorite of the 80s comedies, but certainly I have seen two of them, so I can definitively say that. This feels to me like that time in my youth, like in the in the late 80s there where we had just gotten cable and moved out to New Jersey and these movies were just on all the time and you know it. Like they were just those Saturday afternoons, you know, when you're like a 12-year-old kid, you're just sitting around and you're like, oh, look, Revenge of the Nerds is on. Okay, I probably shouldn't watch this, but I'm going to watch it. And, uh, you know, this is this is definitely that movie genre and realm and time period for me. How about you, Craig? Have you seen over one and a half Revenge of the Nerds movies? For sure, I saw those first two. I oh, don't even remember okay. the third or the fourth. You'd have to clue me in on those, but I definitely remember the second and uh, the first and second for sure. I remember the second as being a really big deal when it came out. Revenge of the Nerds three, the next generation, and then Revenge yeah, of the Nerds, Nerds in four. Paradise was that the second one? Yes, yeah, very good. Nerds in Paradise was the second one. Nerds mm-hmm. in Love was the fourth one, and this was in 1992 yeah. and 94. Wow. And I have uh, no recollection of of either of those. So. I, I don't even know who is in them and how that all works out. So, but yeah, yeah, I, I guess mean, when, I, okay, else, so I definitely have run into the ground. That's reality. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. If it is Seth MacFarlane doing it, it's got a shot. I, I definitely will say that. That's that's for sure. It does seem like there's just everything is getting a reboot and everything is coming back. So why not this too? I guess if you have but, one original idea, you could be a billionaire in Hollywood. Just one, <laughs> one original idea. No one that's has it. it because. Because if it's a success, then it will run forever, and then someone will reboot it 25 years from now. And the big difference is, you know, you don't get a lot of studios that will back anything that doesn't have some sort of base now, where they know they can make some kind of money. This is kind of where Hollywood's at right now, unfortunately. And it sucks because you don't see a lot of people taking chances. And that's one thing. I mean, if you look at some of those movies in the 80s that Tim Burton made, talk about chances. Who would have thought Beetlejuice would have been? I mean, here's the concept, ready? This couple dies... And uh, they, they, they can't get rid of the, the new people that live into their house as ghosts. So they hire some other ghosts. Like, could you imagine now people are like, well, are you stupid? That movie would never work. Of course it does. Right. I mean, that's the thing. It's like nobody will take a shot on anything and nobody's writing books and books used to be turned into movies. Now, right. TV shows are getting turned into books and movies are getting turned into Broadway plays because you have to have some kind of basis or fan base so they know that someone's going to be interested and they make some kind of buck instead of taking a shot on something. You and I need to sit down in January when football is ending and we need to write a screenplay and see if we can get it picked up because they desperately need a new idea and we're the guys to do it. Oh, I, I definitely could see it. Greg Sussman starring in it for sure. George right. Kurtz. Mike Cardano is the evil dean. Mike Cardano. (laughs) You know, Mike Cardano's in it. The theme is on the screen. The title is wrong, spelled wrong on the screen (laughs) to start the the movie. Yes, I definitely can see it all. You are tough on him on the spelling. I just got to say, you are tough on him. The spelling is not good. Spelling is not good. (laughs) He spelled my name wrong, right? I'm sorry, right? Pretty much every time. I think he's gotten my name wrong. Listen, Greg Mish, what do you know, Greg? <laughs> Happy holidays, by the way, to everyone here at Sports Grid. We'll be right back with the Sports Grid 60. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 
And welcome back. Fantasy Sports Today with you here on Sports Grid. Joe and I will be back tomorrow. We'll take a look at the Westgate Super Contest and also a look at the, DF- the DFS slate for Saturday and Sunday, by the way. Saturday got two games. Sunday got a bunch. Monday got one, too. For now, let's turn it over to Joe P. He's got the Sports Grid 60. Joe? It's been a very good year for Justin Herbert, much better than I think anybody could have possibly anticipated. Unfortunately, the Chargers are just a four-win team. Now, he probably will not break the record that Andrew Luck set for most passing yards in a season by a quarterback, but it's still possible that he might with a few good games at the end. He will probably inevitably tonight break that touchdown record, though, held by Baker Mayfield. And like Baker Mayfield, there's a good chance Justin Herbert next year will have a new OC and a new head coach and a new system to learn. But like Baker Mayfield, that could be a very tenuous thing. And it's taken a few years for Baker Mayfield to start to play better football. And I'll tell you what, even though we're seeing some great moments here from Herbert, including six 300-yard games to start his career, you have to wonder what a new voice, new OC, new playbook will look like in 2021, which puts some question mark on a value of a quarterback who has been very good out of the gate in his rookie season. Now, still, the ceiling's very high. The floor's probably high as well. But there's no definitive lock on what Justin Herbert's going to be next season, despite all of the good that you've seen out of him in his rookie year. All right. Yeah, yesterday was National Signing Day and a really great day for a lot of kids. Congratulations to all the kids who are realizing their dreams of getting to play collegiate football. It's obviously fantastic for parents. And I'm a big advocate of all of those kids getting their moment and making their decision. What I'm really not a big advocate, though, is these predictions and these basically resolutions that, hey, this team had the best class. This team had the worst class. This team didn't do good. This team did bad. I mean, it is hard enough for us to figure out who's going to be good in the pros from when they play in college. And you're going to tell me that you can figure out which team in college football is going to be good for the next four years based on the number one recruiting class in the country. It is impossible. It's good to feel good about your team, and it's good to feel good about the players that you've gotten to your college. But realistically, you have no idea whether or not these kids are going to end up playing at a high level. So temper the expectations a little bit. Enjoy the ride if you're part of this. Realistically speaking, though, doesn't mean a lot. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks to our friends at LTN, Brett, Danny, and Ryan. For my co-host, Joe Pizapia, I'm Craig Mish. We will see you on the Friday edition tomorrow at noon. See ya.